0: there's <laughs> a
1: Welcome back to Death at Sec. This is Tanya Marsh. We haven't had any new episodes for a while, but with the still unfolding COVID 19 pandemic, we have a lot to explore about the dead and their relationship with the living. For this first episode of Season 2 of Death at Sec, we turn our attention to the current epicenter of the pandemic in the United States, New York City. Just to give you a sense of the scope of the current crisis, the normal death rate in New York City, deaths from all causes, Is approximately 160 people per day. On Friday, April 17th, there were 540 deaths just from COVID-19 in New York, the first time that the daily death toll has dropped below 600 in 12 days. The highest number was 799 deaths on April 9th. Again, that's just deaths from COVID-19 and doesn't count deaths from other causes. It's no wonder that the death care system in New York City is completely overwhelmed. Hospitals lack the storage capacity in their morgues and have installed refrigerated trucks in parking lots, but even those are being taxed. Funeral homes, many of which operate on a small footprint given New York City real estate prices, lack significant storage capacity. Meanwhile, they're caught between protecting the health of their employees and helping grieving families process unexpected and traumatic deaths while maintaining social distancing and the state stay-at-home order. Cemeteries and crematories in the New York City region are also beyond capacity. According to the New York State Association of Cemeteries, the five crematories in the New York City metropolitan area are currently running between 16 and 20 hours per day, cremating at rates of 2.5 times normal volume. Cemeteries in New York City, Westchester, and Long Island are performing burials at 4 to 6 times normal rates. At the same time, many of the cemeteries are operating on reduced staffing levels in order to protect employee health. In the next episode, I'll talk to a couple of people about what's going on in the cemeteries and crematories in the New York City region. But in today's episode, we're joined by Amy Cunningham of Fitting Tribute Funeral Service in Brooklyn. Amy was my guest on episode 11 of Death at Sec when we sat in her office in New York City and talked about meaningful funerals. Our conversation for this episode conducted over Skype, focused on how much things have changed and are changing in New York City and what that might mean for the future of death care. So Amy, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to me today. I just can't imagine what you're dealing with um, and what other funeral directors in New York are dealing with um, right now. So can you can we start out by you sort of giving us an idea of what
0: reality is like for a funeral director in New York City right now? Hi, Tanya, thank you for having me on. The sheer volume of the work today in New York City is causing funeral directors for the first time to uh, send people to another firm especially with the direct cremation, we are unable to manage the long wait times at the crematories. And we have no floor space to responsibly refrigerate those deceased people. Uh, Because of the lack of room and space and the long wait, we're telling folks where we think uh, they might get help. So, um, that's been an interesting experience. Uh, last week's issue was that we couldn't be with them to, uh, hold their hand, give them a hug, uh, counsel them on, uh, memorialization ideas and, uh, uh, and funeral service plans for the future. This week, it seems to be all about managing the phone calls and getting folks who are desperate for help, the help they need. So it's more triage than creating meaningful funerals. It is. And I've learned a very interesting thing about crisis management that maybe experts in it could have explained um, is that whatever you think your problem is in the moment, your problem next week will be beyond your comprehension, Mm -hmm. that your mind is unable to contain where you're headed um, and you have to really open it up and think as a as imaginatively as you can to even perceive how bad it's going to get. Mm -hmm. And in that way, it's surreal.
1: So what would you say your funeral home's capacity? How many cases can you take on in the course of a week? Or does it depend on what it is that the family needs you to do?
0: Well, I'm a small firm. Right. And I affiliate with an enormous firm. Um, and there are three funeral directors all sharing uh, housing, office space, uh, refrigerated space. I'm proud of the way we've managed, but in a funeral home used to perhaps housing 10 deceased people a night in our refrigerated space, we now have um, 62 uh, deceased people in our care uh, responsibly um held in the hallways, all wrapped, if you could visualize this. I mean, to the outsider, it perhaps would look horrifying. Right. But to a funeral director, it's organized chaos that um, uh, you can actually take some pride in. But we are uh, actually using the backs of the banquette uh, seats in our chapels to um, uh, support caskets. So the caskets are on top of the pews uh, in lines, uh, and all the deceased people, of course, are wrapped in body bags, mostly white ones, but sometimes orange uh, 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 sort of uh, trauma pouches. Um, And uh, the labeling has been going well, um, and we uh, spread out – I, should, I, I shouldn't say we, the, my colleagues were amazing at what they did overnight by putting uh, tables in the hallways just to hold the paperwork uh, in rows and uh, uh, they're managing that uh, amazingly well and everybody's labeled and tagged and um, we're going back into the permits and faxing each other all our paperwork on the telephone with the medical examiner hourly to make sure that the deceased person we're seeking is there and hasn't been moved to a refrigerated space or a trailer or a, another warehouse, which the medical examiner set up just last week.
1: Okay, so you just said a lot of things that I want to follow up on. So let me try. Let me try to. Um... Uh, keep them in some sort of order. So let, let's talk about the process because I know when we talked a year ago for episode 11 of Death at Sec, a lot of your clients were contemplating death, right? Or you were talking to families or you're talking to um, the soon to be deceased themselves, but there was time for planning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, This is sort of defined by lack of time for planning, right? I mean, this is a crisis and it's immediate and uh, et cetera. In the the regular world, um, most of your cases, either uh, my recollection is people would either die at home or they die in a hospital. And you would go and you'd be able to uh, have some sort of ritual surrounding the removal, right? Thoughtful, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, taking time. Um, et cetera, family members sometimes being there, um, and then being able to, uh, in a sort of calm, measured way, sort of take the remains out and move on with the process. Can you compare that to what you're dealing with now? Where are the bodies coming from and what is your relationship with them and what's the removal process like? You just mentioned medical examiners. We, we didn't talk too much about medical examiners a year ago.
0: Right, right they're um, very important in every interaction now. Well, the golden days of anointing deceased people with essential oils and lighting candles and having services in the home with families uh, around the wrapping of their loved one in a burial shroud. Um, That seems to be uh, a distant, uh, dreamy landscape to me in this moment. all interactions uh, with families are on the phone uh, through Zoom or Skype uh, or mostly just speakerphone on the cell. And uh, we're texting a lot uh, with family members to get quick decisions made. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, folks are. Uh, Uh, phoning usually after the death has occurred. I'm not hearing from too many people. Of course, they're not even allowed to be in the hospital with their uh, um, uh, COVID-19 suffering relative. And um, so uh, that was two or three weeks ago, we were all upset about the idea of people dying on their own in hospitals separated from family. Right. And I actually had time to write about it, and repackage my blog, and do some deep thinking about what that meant. We're in a different phase even than that now, where we're um, talking about funerals where families can't be present at all, direct cremations and direct uh, burials uh, where, um, we're offering families the opportunity, uh, to view, uh, the lowering of the casket into the grave by cell phone, um, wow. uh, cemetery policy, by the way, Tanya, since you're interest, you're an expert in the law, um, seems to vary quite a bit, uh, according to the needs of the grave workers and the cemetery's preferences. Some cemeteries are allowing one family member to come to the funeral service, um, No flowers at all, and uh, we have to step away from the grave when the grave workers uh, approach the grave to lower the casket, Mm -hmm. so we can't even be anywhere near the the personnel. I I go into the cemetery office to manage the paperwork with a pen wrapped in a Clorox wipe and a mask, and uh, I didn't have access to proper mortuary goggles, so um, my son's uh, squash goggles are working well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he had a fleeting moment where he's taking squash lessons for about six weeks. So those are around. Oh my gosh! Um, anyway, um, uh, with cremations, that's really become the issue. When you think about um, a crematory, it might have three to five retorts. Those are the chambers where a cremation takes place. Those uh, miraculous. <laughs> machines you know that are uh, uh, modern now and computerized and set according to the body uh, size uh, and the um, number of cremations that have taken place that day those those delicate machines can only um, manage so many cremations a day right Greenwood uh, is actually down one retort right now, so they're managing twenty or twenty five cremations every day. Um, That's not very much when you have hundreds of deaths uh, in New York City. And I believe uh, you would know better than I, we only have four crematories. Is that correct? Five in the metropolitan area.
1: Yeah. And according to the New York State Association of Cemeteries, they're running 16 to 20 hours a day right now. Yes. And their volume is two and a half times normal, which actually seems low because um, their burial rate is four to six times normal. So I wonder if because they're
0: so backed up at the crematories, more people are opting for burial. Yes, I do think there have been some conversions. Uh, cremation families, when they realize how long a wait is necessary to get a place in the cremation line, have decided, oh, heck, let's just, let's just bury. Um, and, of course, that becomes a more expensive funeral that not everyone can afford but those who can bury are burying and i have said they should bury if they can swing it um, because then you'll get uh, an experience uh, at the grave perhaps for a small number of people and uh, and you'll get it done you know there are a lot of families in new york city right now unable to find a funeral home to help them and i've this is another subject that we'll get to, but I've actually um, tried to help families see that our potter's field uh, is a spiritual place, a historic place, that um, that, that can become a new kind of Gettysburg's cemetery and that we can sanctify the grounds and make it okay to be there. Yeah. I think if people don't have the money and can't swing any kind of funeral service at this moment, I don't see why Hard Island isn't uh, an option that they could uh, have peace of mind uh, uh, over and just uh, feel like, well, it was a time of great suffering and we did the best we could. And that's where they landed. Yeah.
1: So you mentioned that there are 60 some bodies that are in the funeral home right now. What are they waiting for? Are they waiting for cremation? for burial is it just so it it, because i'm trying to understand where the bottlenecks are in the Mm -hmm. process and it seems like there are multiple bottlenecks right um and so crematories would definitely be a bottleneck I, i assume there's also a waiting time for burials because they're running on reduced staff because things are probably more time consuming with the sorts of distancing things that are going on so
0: are you waiting for for both of those options correct um, it was uh, much easier to get burial space last week and you could move a burial along within about a week. Uh, now I'm getting burial dates of today is April 18th. Uh, I'm getting burial dates of May 6th. Oh my goodness. And what about cremation? Cremation is like verging into the third week of May. Wow.
1: Okay. And so what about options outside of the metropolitan area? Is it just cost?
0: That's just a matter of cost. Um, the NFDA, the National Funeral Directors Association and the New York state association of funeral directors have been pretty magnificent in getting the word out. And, uh, uh there are out of state crematories that are offering to take some of our work, but, um, I think by next week that's going to become overwhelming as Philadelphia and other cities become as uh, uh, overwhelmed with COVID-19 as we are. So, but there is there are um, folks who are offering their services uh, in other states and even coming in to help us with the transfers. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I haven't tried that yet myself. I. I I'm kind of a control freak, so I want to know where my people are and hold them close, so I'd prefer the local options and and um uh, trying to wait it out
1: well, I saw the n f d a was um creating a program where they're sending they're taking volunteer funeral directors to send to New York, but it didn't seem i it didn't seem intuitive to me that that was a particular bottleneck right that the lack of funeral directors was the problem. it seemed like the place that the bodies were going to go after they left the funeral home was the issue. Is my instinct on
0: that correct? Or is there a role for volunteer funeral directors? Um, I think we were fearing that funeral directors would begin to get the flu themselves, Uh. that the virus would be uh, an issue uh, in our own health and safety. Uh, I know of one funeral director uh, who had it and uh, I think got it from a family member, but uh, uh, I think in two weeks or so uh, it's good that they're bringing new people in because I just think the exhaustion of the work will uh, so fatigue uh, some loyal staff people that it'll be good to have some backup just to manage the phone calls. And we need cars and trucks. there, there's a shortage of hearses mm. and drivers to get um, to the cemetery. Uh, we're using alternative vehicles and vans because hearses aren't enough. Mm-hmm. I'm using my own Honda pilot to take all my all my funerals, which is uh, a pretty good car with an oriental rug in the back bay and I have 78 inches there where I could put a pine box. So that's my deal. Do you have the sense that funeral directors are embalming more
1: bodies just to keep them for, because they lack refrigerator capacity, etc.?
0: In our um, Tuesday 1 p.m. phone call with the deputy chief medical examiner of New York two weeks ago, it was suggested that we embalm more so that we could hold more deceased people in our chapels mm-hmm. um, that lasted about five days because the embalmers quickly became overwhelmed and began to u- refuse work manage their own caseloads. And is there also concern
1: that in Im- the process of embalming makes the death care workers more susceptible
0: to infection? Nobody's mentioned that. Oh, okay. It's an interesting point that I, I don't think they're thinking that way interesting okay are they wearing PPE? Yes yes people are well suited up and um, I uh, the n95s were uh, held uh, by some funeral homes and ordered in advance so we were we are okay on our masks we are running out of uh, the bags uh, to put deceased people in mm. it would be good to get better science. I am a participant in a couple of Facebook chat groups. and There are a lot of embalmers on them. And uh, some people are saying that if you tested the nostrils and throat of a deceased person, you could find COVID-19. There are little rumors around mm-hmm. about how it could last in the respiratory system of, of a dead person. So uh, we're taking a, a lot of uh, care and, and um, putting ourselves, uh, it's hard to put yourself first when you're in a service industry and you want to help people more than anything and, and just think about their needs. Uh, but uh, uh, it, it makes it stressful. It, yeah. it, it, it enhances the level of stress uh, that folks on the, on the front lines are, are experiencing. Can we,
1: uh, I want to go back to the removal process for just a second. So you're not even going in, to, are, are you dealing with hospitals? Or are you dealing with the medical examiner? Where Where are, are if a person dies in the hospital mm-hmm. and people are dying of other things too, right? They're not all dying of COVID in New York City. So, uh, but but maybe it makes more sense for everybody in the system to treat uh, remains like they could be infected right so are you dealing directly with the hospitals or are you dealing with medical examiners how are remains getting released to you
0: uh, always um you have to remember that sometimes um uh 19 uh uh gives people the impression that they're feeling a little bit better uh about 48 hours before they die um, oh really the saddest thing i've heard uh, in virus narratives is that uh, some elderly people think they've beaten it and they're feeling better and then it just comes into the lungs and overwhelms. So uh, we're managing, and this has been a real problem, uh, a lot of deaths at home. Mm -hmm. It's easing up, it's leveling off. But 10 days ago, deaths in the home were up six to 10 times the normal rate. So people were dying uh, in their own beds, in their own homes. And relatives were really hamstrung uh, trying to get, uh, first they would appropriately call 911. Mm-hmm. The overwhelmed New York City medics would come in and pronounce the death. And and then uh, the medical examiner was encouraging funeral directors to claim. And funeral directors were so busy, they were saying, we think the medical examiner should claim. Mm-hmm. This is a home death. There's no hospice supervising it. Um, it's presumed COVID, but can't you take them and hold them? And the medical examiner was saying, no, COVID-19 is a natural cause of death. We will sign the death certificate for you, or we'll get a personal physician to sign. We'll we'll help you manage that, but please, you take the deceased person into your care. And so there was a bit of tension, and sometimes families were in the middle, having to wait. Um, This is still going on. Uh, six to eight to 12 hours in the home with their loved one Um, and this is uh, uh, this became an opportunity and uh, for folks um, who are knowledgeable about home funeral care Mm -hmm. to uh, step up and and uh, uh, offer comforting advice on how to manage a death in the home um, they're good in the best of circumstances, but also prove to have some good wisdom for COVID-19, home deaths in uh, counseling them to cover the nostrils and the mouth with a washcloth, maybe soaked in alcohol or something to keep that area very clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep up with your as a family member. Uh, as you were a caretaker taking precautions with gloves and masks, you should continue that for the home funeral. Uh, that that you didn't really want but now have as you wait the six to eight hours for a funeral director or the medical examiner to finally come into the house, uh, sometimes in kind of hazmat gear to yeah. claim your loved one. Um, even folks dying of cancer in hospice care uh, were finding it difficult to uh, get the help uh, in the house that they thought would come quickly. And so families,
1: like you said, are really caught because these are, in large part, unexpected deaths, right? Not planned. So they don't have a funeral home lined up. And are they literally calling around funeral homes to try to find some? You're nodding. It's a podcast, Amy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. So they're they're calling around funeral homes to try and find somebody who can help them.
0: Yeah, hello, my mom is dead in the house. Oh my gosh. Maybe it was the virus, we don't know. She had the flu, she wasn't well. Can you help us? We keep calling funeral homes and no one can help us. Um, And uh, so uh, uh, we feel awful about that, but I've been able to calm them down a little bit. And I even say, um, listen, one man said, well ordinarily we would have a wake and I said listen this is your wake yeah. I said this, I said you got to hear me I'm I'm wanting to say to you that this is your wake and I said I know you're I can't I can't help you in this moment uh, but I'm going to guide you to someone who might be able to help and I want you to light a candle and FaceTime with your clergy and put on music that she would have loved And, and people responded very positively to those ideas like, Oh my goodness, that makes sense. Thank you. Thank you. I feel a little calmer now. So that's been good. Um, and so even though I can't actually help them, I feel like I have helped them a little bit. Yeah. This is taking a lot out of you and
1: all the funeral directors. I mean, I can't imagine telling people I can't help you.
0: Oh, it's awful. It's just, um, it's just an anthema. Is that the word? Uh, it's the it's the uh, the strangest feeling to not being be able to extend a, a truly helping hand. And uh, so, in that way, uh, this is where I think funeral directors have really met each other instead of being uh, competing firms. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, we've softened uh, in our relationships with other colleagues. And uh, there's a community uh, of funeral professionals in New York City now. It's almost like I hope after this is all over, it may be a distant future date, but I hope we have a dinner or mm. a, some kind of gathering where we, uh, I think we're, we're making new connections and having insights about how things could be better organized, uh, sort of how we could use technology in new and better ways, Uh I think a lot of ideas about streamlining the system will will come from this and how to really get folks um, the, uh, better services in the future um, and possibly more affordable ones too. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of causes you to streamline your view of what a funeral is. You know, the first layer for me, I was into flowers and ceremony and music and All of that, one layer at a time, has fallen off my services Mm -hmm. and caused me to get to the bare essence of of what we're doing, which is why my most authentic offering to the people who call me today is I can say to them, listen, I have pine caskets, I have two of them in my living room and one in my car right now, Um, I could... Um, put your loved one in a simple box, drive them upstate to a cemetery I know where the graves are $800 and the open fee is another $800. And then my fee is modest, and I can get you in, uh, get your loved one in the ground. We can gather uh, at a safe distance from each other around the grave, and we can have a beautiful uh, uh, service that's as eco friendly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the COVID. Dead um, by necessity you have to be wrapped in a uh, plastic uh, body pouch. Hmm. Even inside the casket. Even inside the casket. Okay. Yeah, it's sad. I debated whether I even wanted to tell you that. Well, I mean, that's reality, right? Yeah, it is. And so um, uh, for the time being, that may change as we, as things level out, um, as we begin to be able to take more people out of that transit pouch and into uh, our prep rooms again to bathe them and comb their hair and, um, you know, uh, get their features uh, looking nice. Um, We'll go back to all that. um, But right now, um, it's getting them into the earth or returning them to the elements of the fire uh, as quickly as we can. And then I have been telling my families, please understand that what we're doing right now is just saying farewell to the physical body of your aunt, your grandmother, your husband, and that we will have another service. And you'll be amazed at how effective these Zoom uh, uh, gatherings can be, where you're looking at each other's faces on a screen Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you can still have eulogies, you can still play music, um, you can bring an object that reminds you of your loved one to the little conferencing tool, um, and we'll have um, something else. So please know that, um, and it, I was already teaching that the funeral is not just a single hour of, of commemoration, that uh, or, uh, I see the funeral today As a sequence of experiences over the course of 12 months and then onwards beyond that, you know, we need to understand that um, this loss isn't going to be um, completed or closed out um, by a single ceremony, Mm -hmm. that we'll have uh, numerous opportunities to remember, to express our gratitude and our love. And that's helpful to people, I think, and comforting when they begin to entertain and expand the definition of what it is to say goodbye to somebody. Well, I think the
1: most difficult things about all this is that it's really um, the immediacy of the number of deaths is forcing us to think about uh, the public health aspects of we need to have disposition of the dead versus funeral, grieving, ritual, etc. Right. Um, yes. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about this is distilling it down to what is is fundamental. I, we were talking before about how we've lost all sense of time. <laughs> I have no idea how long we've been in, in a stay at home order. It seems like forever, but I think it's been like five weeks. But right. when this all first started, um, and I had already been locked out of Wake Forest, and I couldn't go back to my office, I thought I really want to reread This Republic of Suffering. Um, Yes,
0: I ordered it. Yes, I couldn't find
1: my copy. I I had to order a second copy because, yeah, I had to order a second copy because, um, you know, from the outset, it see, I was trying to think of another time in American history when we've had something that so challenges people's death rituals. And I don't think there's been anything since the Civil War. I mean, you know, certainly World War One, World War Two, and you had lots of people, you know, in Vietnam, Korea, you had people dying overseas. Um, that wasn't on the scale that the Civil War was in terms of, you know, the population. And, you know, even 9-11, that was a single event. I And I know you weren't a funeral director during 9-11. Have you talked to other funeral directors? Are they seeing any sorts of... Parallels to what they had to deal with then. I mean, one of the realities was there weren't bodies, right? right. So there was a whole different um, problem. But in terms of people didn't get to have funerals in the way
0: that they had expected. Yes, that was the most recent milestone uh, prior to this one, uh, where funeral directors felt that there was a shift in the. And prior to that, it was the days of AIDS. Right. Uh, when men were dying in the prime of their lives and women uh, and saying, we don't want funerals in a funeral home, we want them in parks and theaters. So each of these calamities have sort of um, had their own epiphanies arising that were influential uh, with funeral service. Uh, you're right, 9-11, we didn't have bodies, so they, they had uh, new kinds of memorials and even um, uh, different kinds of ways to, to honor uh, parts of the body that they did find and um right. uh here i think your comparison uh to the civil war um is apt because i pulled the statistics on gettysburg uh 3155 union dead 3903 confederate 33000 wounded um and that was just you know over a course of a few days here we have in new york um Eight New York City I believe oh gosh I don't know if this is the state or the city I apologize you might 8,893 dead I think that's the state but it's
1: pretty much the New York City metropolitan area Yeah, there's not very much outside of the metropolitan
0: area it's intense and as you've heard the sirens are, are, are steady uh, but less today than they were yeah so um, the disposition is um, something that we're managing now and the memorialization will come later. And I hope we find our way to an AIDS quilt kind of uh, way of commemorating or some kind of public space. And even Hart Island, our potter's field um, is, I, I can only um, anticipate that it will be made beautiful and visitable, historic, And um, a place where um, those who came through this calamitous time uh, found uh, a resting place. Mm -hmm.
1: And if it did get improved in some of those ways that you just mentioned, that would definitely remove some
0: of the stigma of those who have been buried there, right? Yes. Because the act of disinterring in months and years to come is, to many funeral directors, pretty... That's pretty unthinkable. Mm-hmm. The city thinks that it could be managed and and well done. Um, I can't I can't imagine. I guess there would be some firms that would specialize in Hard Island disinterments, but I would hope that more people could just find peace in saying, "Well, that's where she landed," and we'll find ways to make it beautiful for her.
1: I've had a couple of people ask me if I do a whole episode about Hard Island, so I don't I I I might do that because I um a lot of people all they know about Hard Island is that drone footage yeah (laughs) that when the photos that were taken you know and then the mass graves in New York City parks which of course is um out of context yeah it's impossible to ask anybody right now what do you think the future is going to hold but do you have any predictions for how things might change in death care especially in New York City as a result of everything that you've experienced for the past couple of weeks?
0: I wonder, it's going to, um, I think there's some embalmers and some Roman Catholic firms who are, uh, are fearful that the open casket viewing uh, will be jettisoned in some way or that people will somehow get used to funerals without viewings uh, that would endanger that kind of ritual. I don't think so. But
1: uh, it may may depend on how long this lasts.
0: hmm. Yeah. As if a, as if the memory of the way we do it now with and that maybe, maybe some old timers think that there's a risk in the zoom um, memorial service that folks will kind of get into liking that. And yeah. already there was a lot of fear that we were minimizing our rituals and moving away to a lower-cost funeral that didn't have uh, uh, the the symbols, uh, the cars. Uh, You know, 20 years ago in New York City, um, especially with Italian funerals, they would have a special car just to transport the flowers from the wake so there were so many flowers at an at a open casket viewing that a whole car was needed to take the flowers to the cemetery.
1: Right,
0: Those days were already disappearing, those flamboyant funerals with long uh, lines of limousines and things like that. Um, uh, most of the families I serve are quite modest and preferring an SUV um, or... Um, they want to Uber, take an Uber <laughs> prematory. Mm-hmm. Um So uh, some of the pomp and circumstance of the ways of the past, I don't know. Um, folks will maybe see from the earliest history of mankind the, the dead body has posed a challenge and a problem and uh, this period may uh, allow us to, to see new possibilities
1: mm-hmm.
0: and simpler methods. The home funeral, I think it's empowered um, people outside the industry to see that they have a lot of knowledge and mm-hmm. wisdom to share. And mm-hmm. that the um, the funeral professionals would benefit from um, new ideas, uh, new thoughts on technology. And that they might wind up 15 years from now with uh, a new kind of product to offer grieving families that is... Um, uh, streamlined to what they really really want to need I don't know exactly what that's going to be but um, there'll be new public ways to grieve and uh, and in community uh, manage uh, our losses and uh, navigate bereavement get the counseling uh, the support and um, contact with other grieving people which seems to be very helpful well,
1: one one thing that uh all of this stay-at-home business across the country has done is show us
0: new ways to to be in communication with each other, right? I had a birthday party on Zoom last night and oh. everybody spoke. It was almost like a uh, living funeral, the little testimonials of each participant. That's sweet. I got a lot out of it. I I felt like, "Oh man, this is great." I was really really So pleased. And it was better than any party we could have had in a room. I think folks found that at Easter and Passover. Yeah. Their experiences with their families were more intimate. And uh, so some surprises coming out of the the turmoil.
1: Well, you've been incredibly generous with your time. I don't want to take up any more of it. But is there anything else you wanted to...
0: I'm amazed at the uh, flexibility of some of the people I'm working with. Some of the families uh, have... uh, Adjusted quickly to their new reality and uh, I have one direct burial coming up where we're going to include the family by FaceTime or Zoom. And they said over and over again, we just want this simple for you guys. Mm. Mom is dead of COVID-19. We don't want anyone else hurt by it. We're just going to put her in the ground and we have lots of plans to remember her and commemorate her life well lived after this. So um, take it away, and we trust you to do the best job you can do. That's great. Yeah, it was very moving to have that conversation with them. Thank you for uh, calming me down and giving me a moment of FaceTime with you. It's always nice. That's wonderful to see you. I'll keep you posted on other, other things and other ideas as I have them. All right. Thank you so much, Amy. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. Yeah, you need any masks? I'm making masks this weekend. I'm okay, but the cemetery workers I'm visiting uh, tomorrow need them, so I'm taking them some onwards.
1: I spoke with Amy further offline, and she wanted me to add that elements of the funeral traditions that had been in place two months ago have been discarded in layers as a result of the pandemic. In our conversation, we discussed the early losses of shrouding and bathing, and the loss of in-person funeral planning meetings and arrangements. But Amy wanted to add that large gatherings, of course, are on hold. At first, they tried to keep funerals small, but then quickly that became unsustainable, and now there are no gatherings at crematories and funeral homes. Given that chapels and other formerly public spaces and funeral homes are being used for temporary storage of the dead, this isn't too surprising. They tried outdoor carport viewings to give close family members an opportunity to see the deceased, a short identification with the body pouch unzipped, but that too has been abandoned as they try to manage what she called their enormous call volume. Funeral homes are receiving requests from the family to photograph the face of the deceased to allow them one last look to identify the remains. Funeral directors are trying to honor this request, but it's difficult. Amy said that many funeral directors, understandably, don't want to open the body bags even once inside the funeral home. Remains are not being washed or dressed. As she mentioned in our conversation, they are being placed, body bag and all, into the casket before burial. As we discussed in our conversation, this crisis is really forcing those in death care services to help families find what is really important in terms of saying goodbye. As Amy put it, What the crisis may reveal is that losing touches like flowers and fabric are, in the end, not such devastating edits to what the farewell to the physical body was becoming. Our hearts are breaking too, Amy told me. We definitely hate all of this. I want to thank Amy Cunningham again for joining me to kick off the second season of Death at Sec and provide us with a real window into the reality that funeral directors are facing in New York City. You may have noticed that new music introduced the podcast. That's my friend David Childers, whose music can be found on Ramser Records, singing his song Heart and My Soul on a recent Facebook Live concert. If you're on Facebook, definitely check him out. We don't know how quickly life will return to normal or even a new normal, but I'll try in this season of Death at Sec to bring folks in to discuss some of the ways that the relationship between the living and the dead is changing in the course of this pandemic. Stay home. Be well. Thank you for listening.